Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and culture. My name is Nicky and on this New Year Hogmanay episode, I am joined, as always, by the man who you wouldn't know to look at him, that he's Glaswegian. But oh no, you can when he speaks. <laughs> it's Greg. How are you today, Greg? I'm very well. Have you been to the Costco and got your... Have I been to the Costco? Yeah, to get your beer, wine, gin. Don't forget the pear cider. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, no, I haven't been to the Costco. Um, I, Yeah, and I, I left my crisps and dip at the till at Tesco's with a wee lassie with a Santa hat. Unfortunately, that was a, a schoolboy error. No, I haven't been to the Costco. You're right. I do need to go and stock up. What about yourself? Have you been to the Costco? Uh, no, but I have been to the, uh, the alcohol shop. Shop, the alcohol shop. I went down with Paula's dad, my my father-in-law. We we're quite an odd sort of couple, I guess, for Dubai. Like <laughs> a six foot two, kind of pale blue Scottish guy, and a five foot eight, eighty-one year old Jamaican man uh, with a limp. But yeah, we we went down last week and um, we got a few cases of beer that Paula's dad has put a he's put a serious dent in one of them already, and some wine and a few bottles of uh, spirits for Christmas. So I don't know about you, but I tend to prefer just nipping down to get what I'm going to drink that night, right? Because mm-hmm. if I buy it in bulk, because I know it's there, I'll have a beer at times yeah. when I wouldn't normally have a beer. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I've got like I've got 72 cans of like San Miguel in the in the utility room. <laughs> I'll stick a couple in the fridge. Or if there's wine, wine's the worst thing because if there's a few bottles of red wine, I, I can't just have a glass. I need to like do the bottle, and then sometimes I need to go on yeah. to the next bottle and before you know where you are you've got to drink all your Christmas red wine <laughs> yeah I think it was the issue obviously when I lived in Dubai just before the place in Gantu had opened like the only other option obviously I had an alcohol license I could go to MMI or A&E but you take a trip to Barracuda to more often than not I would actually get it delivered from this company maybe heard about them I don't know if they're still on the go it was like Centurus and they would deliver your alcohol and that was the issue because you had to order like I think it was like a thousand dirhams worth or something. It, it was a, a lot. Yeah. You had to like minimum order. So you would end up getting this delivery of eight cases of beer and 30 bottles of wine and stuff. And yeah, it's the issue if it's in the house. That's the issue if you live in the Middle East is you have to kind of do that. Uh, whereas now I'm back in Europe and, you know, I can just nip to the supermarket and get a bottle of wine. But then the issue with that is that when your wife asks you it, seven o'clock I quite fancy a bottle of wine can you nip out and then I've got to go and trudge to the supermarket and get her a bottle of wine as I had to do this afternoon (laughs) so yeah that is the uh, the issue I suppose it uh, against having a stock in the house but I know what you mean if you have a stock then you just end up drinking it and it can be an issue but you have to you know for new year you have to get everything in and I hope you have put the good malt in a cheap bottle of bells to hide Uh, it well any guests? The advantages of having like a five foot eight father-in-law means that, I, and like a five foot one wife means that all I've got to do is put things at the back of the highest shelf, and they can't even see them. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I've got a bottle of, I've got a couple of bottles of absolute vodka and a bottle of monkey shoulder whiskey. It's quite oh, nice. That nice. I, I, yeah, I like monkey yes. shoulder. It's a nice whiskey. And I've got yeah. a bottle of uh, Kraken rum. Not Kraken rum, although it is Kraken rum, but Kraken, as in the big octopusy thing. Rum. I've got I've got those stashed for Christmas because I know if if they go into if they go into Gen Pop, uh, they'll they'll get fucking <laughs> they'll get tanned before Christmas and I'll have to go and buy them again. So I've just 
I've stashed them because um, I know that my, my wife's one of these people that if something is out of her if if something's out of view for her for a while she just forgets all about it <laughs> so um, yeah give it a few years and you'll be having to hide the alcohol from the kids yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, well, so this is our New Year episode. Did you have a nice Christmas? Uh, I'm joking, of course. We're recording this before Christmas, just to let a little light in upon magic. So uh, I guess we'll discuss our Christmases in the next episode. Okay, well, shall we have a look at what's been going on in the news in Scotland in this last week? Yes, we shall. Cue the jingle. Hello. This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, what have you seen in Scotland this week that you've thought, I I just cannot wait to talk about (laughs) that on the Swally? Um, Well, have you ever been to the northern Scottish town of Wick? No, I can't say I have. I'm very aware of Wick, but I've never actually been. No, no I've, I've never been either. Um, I understand it's a kind of coastal place, uh, quite nice. Well, this story comes from the ever-trustworthy Scottish Sun from the 9th of December. Uh, the headline is, Honour Wick, we escaped Taliban, but hated life in depressing Wick. Please don't send us back to Scotland, say Afghan refugee. So this is an Afghan refugee uh, called Hamid Hakimi. He's an ex-British Armed Forces interpreter. They've just moved back to London with his wife, his wife uh, Miriam. She's only 19. She's pregnant and he's worried that they might lose the baby because apparently living in Wick in Caithness is so depressing. I mean, I mean, apologies to anybody who listening who lives in Wick. This is not our opinion because we've never been there. Um, I mean, I'm looking at a photograph of Wick and it looks quite nice. Hmm. So Hamid is still pleading with the Home Office not to send the couple back north as he told of his gratitude for the help he and Maryam have received UK. He said, we have come back down to London and we're staying with friends, but we don't want to go back to Wick. We're so grateful to the UK for helping us, but we can't live so far away from our support network. I have been contacted by people who want to help us by bringing us halal food, which is very kind, but it won't help our situation. My wife is happy here in London, where she's closer to her relatives than the Afghan community, but we still don't know what the Home Office is planning to do. Hamid last night revealed they decided to pack their bags, travel to London to be closer to friends who are settled in the city. He was at pains to stress how thankful he is to be given sanctuary on UK show after risking his life helping British frontline troops in Afghanistan. But the former Kabul shopkeeper insists that life in wit is not the answer. He added, I am so grateful to the UK government for bringing us here, but the place they moved us to is unsuitable. I don't mean that it's bad, and he doesn't want to offend anybody who lives in wit. He says, Wick's a nice place, and there are nice people there, but the problem is my wife is lonely there. I've been talking to the Home Office and over and over again to ask them to please let us stay closer to my friends and family. So they arrived in the UK on the 3rd of August. They were transferred to Wick three weeks later. I mean, it's a bit of a random kind of place. You know what I mean? To It's a bit random just kind of moving people from the desert uh, to Wick. He says, in Afghanistan, we might die in a month or a year, but in Wick, we die every day. My wife is 12 weeks pregnant, but she is still crying all the time. If I go back to my homeland, the Taliban will chop my head off, but I'm afraid if we stay here, our baby will die. The liberal Democrat Jamie Stone said their situation was very worrying. And the Scottish Nationals MSP, Mary Todd, added, I'll do everything I can to support them. A UK government spokesperson said they have helped more than 15,000 people to safety. Said, 
councils have been given £20,500 per person over three years to support those starting a new life. I mean, yeah, I don't know what, I mean, what, I wonder why they're moving to Wick. It's pretty random. I mean, I think this is more to do with missing friends yeah. and family than actually to say I die every day in Wick. Yeah, it's a random place to move yeah. someone. It's It's not the first thought that you would have yeah let's go to Wick like probably one of the furthest north yeah. points you know might as well put them on Shetland or Norway Orkney <laughs> but it's a it's a bit of a random place to put them in Wick from my knowledge it's not you know a, a big place and I wouldn't imagine I, I don't know I'd, I'd need to google if there's a mosque in Wick and if they're able to get halal food readily available I don't know that's a a very strange thing. Mm. So it does seem an odd place to put them, and I can understand their plight. It, I think he's been a bit over dramatic, saying I die every day in Wick. To be fair, there's worse places to be, but I can understand. But I think it is maybe just a case that he's missing his friends and family, and they feel maybe isolated. And I can imagine maybe a, a small place like that. Maybe some of the locals aren't the most welcoming. <laughs> If I can say that, not as open-minded as like, well, I don't, I don't imagine yeah. it's a, I don't imagine it's a particularly diverse place. Wick. I mean, having, I mean, I, I used to live in a, a little village just outside of Aberdeen called Maud. You know, like my, my wife is black, uh, West Indian origin. You know, like <laughs> when I took her to Maud for the first time, like you don't see anybody who isn't white <laughs> in Maud. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a few English people who live there, but they're viewed suspiciously. Most, yeah. <laughs> most of the people are Scottish and have lived in the village for generations. Um, so I can't imagine, you know, I, I don't think there's any plans to build a moss in Maud anytime soon. Can't imagine that uh, West is a particularly diverse place. I don't know. I mean, if you're from Wick and it is a diverse place, then get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, like I say, I can I can see both sides of the coin. I feel a bit sorry for this gentleman and his wife, and he's obviously worried about his baby on the way, and they're in a strange country. Is it worse than being up against the Taliban, though? I mean, don't know. I I would say that we wish the uh, our friend from Wick all the best in London if he's if he's decided to go and settle down in London with his wife and we wish him all the best and uh, congratulations on the your future child <laughs> heartfelt cool alright uh, well yeah that's them um, apologies to anybody in Wick uh, taking offence what's your uh, what's your first story this week well Greg my first story is from the Irvin Times this week and I'm going to talk about one of our favourite subjects the North Ayrshire candy bar is up for top pie award oh. so this is the candy bar bakery in Ayrshire, which has made the shortlist of the 22nd World Championship Scotch Pie Awards. Did you realise there was a World Championship Scotch Pie Awards? I, I, I didn't know that. And um, Well, how do you, it, it's in its 22nd <laughs> year. And how do you get to be a judge at the, the Pie Awards? That's what I'm wondering. I'm going to be sending off my application. So it follows the annual judging day held earlier this month, so December, when over 70 butchers and bakers delivered more than 400 of the nation's best pies for judging by over 50 experts in their field. So there's 50 judges, Greg. Surely we can yes, get into sure. this. The candy bar, which has branches in Salcoats, Kilwinning and West Kilbride, 
Pride has already won the Big Pie Award in recent years, and they hope to challenge the best in the country to take the title again. Now get this. As always, the judges were looking for pie perfection across entrants in 11 categories. Greg, 11 categories in the pie awards. These categories are scotch pie, football pie and savouries, <laughs> macaroni pie, steak pie, sausage roll. I, I don't know if that should be allowed in the pie awards, technically. Cold savoury, hot savoury, vegetarian savoury, haggis savoury, bridey and apple pie. And the winner will be announced at the prestigious launch on uh, January the 18th at the Westerwood Hotel Cumbernauld, hosted by Carol Smiley. Wow. They've got a big one. They've taken out the big yeah. guns for the 22nd Pie Awards. Uh, Alistair Smith, the chief executive of Scottish Bakers, told the Herald, it's the first inkling our entrance gets that their pies have been judged so good that we can announce with great pleasure that the candy bar has made it through to the finals. So there you go on the uh, January the 18th. So we will um, announce, well, yeah, I'll probably be into our February episodes <laughs> before we can actually announce how the candy bar got on in the awards. But yeah, they're up for best pie. So congratulations. And uh, yeah, I'd love to know how you get to be a judge at these awards. Well, here's a strange thing, right? Well, I don't know if it's a strange thing, but until I moved <laughs> to the northeast of Scotland, I had never in my life, I could never have imagined even such a thing as a macaroni pie. And I feel like if I've got any American listeners, I know obviously America has a deep love for mac, mac and cheese. You know, I feel like a, I feel like a macaroni pie would go down really well in the US, don't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can honestly say I've never had a macaroni pie. However, the next time I go back, to Scotland, I'll probably have to have one. Yeah. Since I'm not eating meat. I mean, let's face it, if I'm pished, I'll end up having a Scotch <laughs> pie. However, um, I've never had a macaroni pie. The thought of it has always kind of put me off. However, as I say, since I've stopped eating meat, then yeah, I probably would have one if I was sober. Like if I went to the football, I'll probably have a macaroni pie. But like I say, I can guarantee probably in May at 3 a.m. Who were kidding? 3 a.m. We won't be out till 3 a.m. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we'll be pished and probably go to the baker's and I'll probably have a scotch pie and then spend the next day on the toilet. Uh, but yeah. Where a lot of bakers go wrong, I think, macaroni pie, is that what's key to it is the quality of the macaroni. You know what I mean? It needs to be mm. really nice and really cheesy. I mean, I've not... I've not had many macaroni pies because there's just, there's just something wrong about it, right? Something wrong. It just doesn't. Make, I mean, I don't know who came up with the idea of putting pasta in a pie, but um, when when I have had one, and it's usually been when I've been absolutely hammered, the macaroni is always a wee bit bland. You know what I mean? It's not very cheesy. It's, mm. it's, it's like they've used like a mild cheddar instead of a mature cheddar in the sauce. So yeah, if you're a baker, maybe if Sean Henry's listening, you might want to turn his hand to a macaroni pie and we know that he's a he's a master baker just uh, I note Henry use um, mature cheddar you've got to get the don't scrimp why do you think it was a macaroni pie that took off and not like a ravioli pie or something like why macaroni it's is it so connected with the northeast so to speak I don't know It, it seems a strange choice to have like who thought, oh, I've just got this macaroni and cheese left over. You know what? I'm going to put it in a pie. No. It's a fucking bizarre when you think about it. And I know we have discussed this. I think this is the third time we've spoken about macaroni pies on this family. <laughs> but it's very much a, a strange thing to to put in a pie. Yeah. 
I mean, I, th- I think you can get a macaroni pie in Greg these days. Greg's the baker. Ah, okay. Yeah, it seems to have just sort of slowly spread across Scotland. But I can tell you, when I, when I was a kid in Glasgow, you wouldn't get a macaroni pie. You'd be laughed out the bakers. Um, well, I'm right in the mood for a pie now. I was, I was, re- I was yeah. already in the mood for a pie from watching our, our subject matter um, the other day. <laughs> Because there's like steak pie features quite prominently in it, but yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll make well, a pie at the weekend. More on the pies later. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, as I say, the best of luck to Candy Bar. I hope uh, all the best from the Culture Swally at the 22nd World Championship Scotch Pie Awards. And say hello to Carol Smiley from us. Okay, so um, what else have you seen this week, Greg? Um, well, I'm going from one sort of vaguely racist story to another, I'm afraid. Oh, joy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I try and handle it as delicately as I can. Um, so this story comes from the Daily Record on the 11th of December. Um, I'll just read the headline. Uh, Black Bitch Pub naming row sparks rally by furious local over an attack on the Scots town history. Um, so this is Linlithgow, which is a town uh, sort of between Falkirk and Edinburgh. There's an old pub there called the Black Bitch. Been there for many, 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 many years. Well, it's been there since the 7th century. Um, it's now owned by the bar chain Green King, and they've confirmed that they're changing the name to the Black Hound in a bid to make it more inclusive. But the move... The move has sparked fierce opposition from residents of the West Lothian town who have accused hospitality bosses of attacking their history. People born in Lithgow are affectionately known as black bitches in recognition of a historic tale involving a black female greyhound that tried to help its imprisoned owner. I have never heard of people in Lithgow being called black bitch ever. The fable is immortalised in the town's coat of arms as well as one of its best-known high street bars, Black Bit. But owners, Suffolk-based Green King, have brewed up a storm. I bet the reporter was really pleased with that. After declaring the name has racist connotations, locals are now set to gather for a demonstration outside the watering hole at 12pm, or, well, on Saturday, December 11th, yesterday, <laughs> after being bolstered by the support of First Minister Alex Salmond. Uh, obviously, Alex Salmond pariahed in Scottish politics, looking something to get involved in. Joint organiser Murdoch Kennedy told Today the Record, people in the village are against the whole thing. It's actually now veering towards an attack on our history and a slur on the town. Alex Salmon getting on board was certainly a big boost and the local end Martin Day raised it in the House of Commons this week as well. Oh my life. Every little helps, but obviously getting support at that kind of level helps a lot. We're not sure how many people will be coming along today because it's been organised at the last minute. We held a smaller event on Wednesday, which was good. Uh, we had lots of people driving past honking their horn. But um, it, is a bit of, it is a bit of an unusual thing to see. I remember Paula's uncle, who, who is a white guy, uh, who married to Paula's auntie, who's a black lady. Um, I remember when I told him about this pub in the Nithgow, he must have mentioned it to her when they came to visit us at Christmas about 100 times. <laughs> that there's a pub in the Nithgow called The Black Bitch. I guess we'll keep an eye on it and see and see what happens. My opinion, I don't, I don't think it's, it's not going to change the history of the Nithgow by changing the name of the pub. You know, if, I mean, if it's not going, if it's good, if it means that people aren't going to be left feeling uncomfortable or offended, then I don't where the harm is. But I think it's difficult when you have something like this that has so much history in the town, and it's always been called that and it's difficult nowadays obviously you have to if it does offend people then of course you have to change it you can't have something like that that is offending people but i can see 
both sides of the coin here i can see the people that are upset that the the town they've lived in all their lives and and they've known the pub as the the black bitch is i mean would you really want to see though you coming down the black bitch tonight <laughs> you want to go down the black bitch no i know and go for a pint go for a pint in the black bitch <laughs> yeah Surely no one calls it the black bitch. They must call it the black or the bitch. Know. Or the BB. Uh, the BB, maybe. But yeah, let me see the black bitch. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see both sides. It's it's obviously a historic name, but it's, yeah, it, it's not right, though, is it? No, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it's more surprising that it's, I mean, I'm sure the pub has probably changed hands a number of times um, in, it, in its 300 years, 400, 300, 400 years history. You know, I don't know why, I, you know. I don't know why no one has changed the name before. Yeah, so I mean, what 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 this guy's saying is the legend of the black bitch is woven into the royal borough's tradition and has no association whatsoever with racism or sexism. And he makes up a wee word here. He says it's just Lithgayism. To suggest otherwise is deeply insulting. I was born about a mile and a half from the Black Bitch Tavern, the oldest pub in town, and well within the sound of St. Mike Bell. When any outside investor comes into an area, they should show respect and sensitivity to local tradition, not trample all over it. When I was first told about the story, I assumed that the pub chain was just attempting to generate publicity in the holiday silly season. However, after a bit of my own research, it seems clear that the company is on something of a guilt given the historic involvement in the slave trade of their founder, Benjamin Green. Significantly, there seems to be no proposal to change their own company name. I have suggested to Nick McKenzie, who's the CEO of Green King, or sorry, he's the managing director of Green King, that his company should understand that the battle against racism is about respect and you don't advance that cause by disrespecting local communities. They should instead redouble their efforts in inclusive employment and supporting anti-racist causes, not gratuitously insult and attack town. Uh, More than 7,000 people have signed the petition, but the pub bosses remain firm on their plans. Nick McKenzie said, this is an important decision to take, but we feel strongly that it's the right one. We're changing the pub's name so it continues to recognise the history of the Lithgow, but at the same time addresses the fact current name does cause offence and upset some people. From the outset, we knew the importance of the name to the Lithgow and we're not trying to denigrate the town or diminish its history. Sounds like a reasonable chap, Nick McKenzie. Okay, well, I'm sure they'll come to a, a decent solution and they can work it out from there. But uh, someone's going to be upset regardless, as always happens. Mm-hmm. So, what's your next story? Uh, well, my second story this week, Greg, uh, comes from a Scots tattoo parlour who had a scathing reply to a ball bag customer who cancelled in the last minute. So this is from the Archangel 1608 Tattoo Studio based in Maryhill Road, Glasgow, and it was left furious after a punter cancelled their booking with only a day's notice. A heated argument broke out when the customer messaged the parlour to ask for their tattoo booking to be rearranged. Uh, Messaging on November the 26th, the customer said, Alright mate, I need to move my tattoo from tomorrow as I need to go into work. If you can get me in January, then please and and give me a date. The the tattoo parlour obviously replied saying, Dude, that's really not enough time to get that filled. Leave it with me and I'll see if I can move anything forward but if not then i'm into april may for appointments already now now that seems fair enough to me but the punter responded well you need to get me in before then 
as I've already waited three months for this and I'm not going to wait until then. Thanks. Uh, the, the parlour hit back and you've given me less than 24 hours notice and no reason or apology for making it. I'm trying to cover my wage here for the day, so if it clears a day, then that'll be the time we can get you in. The customer replied with, Listen, I've been asked to come into work and I've just realised that Christmas is coming up. <laughs> if you can't get me into January, he's just realised Christmas is coming up. If you can't get me in January, then just refund my deposit. Thanks. I've been waiting three months already, so I don't think I should have to wait any longer to get this sorted. So let me know. Uh, the parlour obviously responded with, uh, Are you kidding me? You're cancelling your appointment the day before. I can't just magically arrange another date for you uh, when you've booked so far ahead. As I've said, if I can manage to find someone that can come in with less than 24 hours notice, and then I can fill that appointment for you. If that's not suitable, then you can either come in tomorrow as previously arranged or wait until April or May. Escalating the tension, the customer said, stop wasting, and he spelt it W-A-I-S-T-I-N-G, so as in like the waste around his, you know, midriff. Stop wasting my time, uh, then you fucking idiot, and refund my deposit. I've told you I've decided to work tomorrow, so I won't come in. The parlour replied, obviously as you'd expect, what the actual fuck? Few things since you're being a cock. One, how the fuck is it a surprise that Christmas is soon, so soon after the appointment you booked for the last Saturday of November? Two, you being asked to work last minute means that now I can't work. Will I just sit and scratch my arse for the duration of your appointment? Three, you paid a booking fee, not a deposit, so you paid to get booked in, and for the time that I spent arranging the design for you and putting it together. Four, what the fuck makes you think you can just arrange a new date for you? People have also been waiting three months for their appointment, so, uh, no. If you don't have the common courtesy or decency to apologise for cancelling the last minute, forget it. Actually, I'm not busting my ass for you. Now you've lost your booking fee, I'll send your design to you so you can go somewhere else and I'll just have a good scratch of my arse tomorrow morning. Uh, the customer then threatened back, if you don't send my deposit back, then I'm going to take you to small claims court. The parlour responded with, good luck with that. My legal team, Google, has also told me you don't, you don't have a leg to stand on. Also, you should be informed that since I can't cover my time, you've paid £100 for me to actually scratch my arse tomorrow. Who says dreams don't come true? Uh, the customer finally replied with, you're a wanker, I hope you're happy. Which uh, the parlour said, uh, not really, I'd rather be tattooing tomorrow instead of half the day, uh, but I've just found out that Christmas is coming. So uh, yeah, so that was a, a nice little exchange from a customer. I mean, yeah, fair play. The guy cancelling last minute. I, what amused me was that he's like, I've just realised that Christmas is coming up. Like, it's November. How could you not realise that Christmas is coming up? Like, it, it's literally taken him by surprise. Like, oh, fuck, Christmas. Oh, I've forgotten that it's, uh, yeah, it's it's always such a surprise when that comes around in December, isn't it? I know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guy must be, to be, like, for the tattoo artist to be booked up all those months in advance, he must be, like, shit hot. There's no shortage of tattoo places in Glasgow. There's millions of them. Yeah, if he's got, like, three, four months advance bookings, then yeah, he's obviously a very good artist. So to cancel the day before and then just say, ah, can you just fit me in in January? I, I just, I find it hilarious. I've just realised... He's saying, oh, I've got I've got to go into work tomorrow and I've just realised Christmas is coming up. Like, really? Yeah. Oh, well. Never mind. I mean, I suppose the advantage of working for yourself means you don't have to take any shit off anybody, right? <laughs> yeah. I always like that when businesses fight back like that and can just be like, fuck off, you arsehole. Don't speak to me like that. I think 
that's uh, yeah, that's lovely. I like to see businesses fighting back. Well, before we go on to what we're going to be talking about this week, let's have a little word from our sponsors. You can get tenants anywhere, man. The blue and yellow can, man. From off license shops and the high street store. From pubs and clubs, it's chosen more. Why not try tenants anywhere? All right, so I had the privilege of picking our Christmas episode where we had the Crankies Club at Christmas. Uh, it was your turn to choose our Hugmanay episode. So what are we going to be talking about? Uh, well, today, Greg, we are going to be talking about the original pilot episode of Two Doors Down. Uh, this was created by Simon Carlyle and Gregor Sharp, and it aired on December the 31st, 2013 on BBC One across the whole of the UK at 9pm. Two Doors Down tells the story of Beth and Eric Baird's Hogmanay party as it gets slightly out of control when family, friends and neighbours descend on their home. As the drink flows and the steak pie comes out of the oven, secrets are revealed, tempers fray, scores are settled, and a gazebo gets destroyed. So this was, a, I think, a very popular show when it aired in uh, December 2013, and it has since spawned five series of a, a spin-off TV show. But we're not going to speak about the TV show here. I mean, I think we we're probably not going to be able to help speaking about some elements of it, but we're going to try and concentrate on this original pilot. So, Greg, your first memories of Two Doors Down in 2013. Did you watch it when it went out live or next day or around about that time? I think I taped it. I think I, ta- I, think I, ta- I taped it. I recorded it on my Sky Plus box and watched it the next day. Uh, so I think we probably had people in for Hugmanay that night. I'm pretty sure we did. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I guess the sort of Hugmanay tradition was always Scotch and rye and then late, and only an excuse and then later on chewing the fat. So the end, which are all sketch, uh, obviously all sketch based shows. It was, this was quite refreshing to have um, something a bit different and a bit more grounded in reality, you know, for Hugmanay. And I think, I think everyone, oh, yeah. uh, everyone can relate to Ah, Hogmanay House Party. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody in Scotland certainly can. No, definitely. I, I was very similar to you. It was kind of a, a tradition I would have had whenever I went out for New Year. And I think, you know, I've probably been going out for New Year. I think I, I, I was thinking about this today. I think it was probably 15. It was like the first time I went out into town on my own. Not on my own, but with friends for New Year. And I would have set the video to record Chewing the Fat or Still Game and Only an Excuse. Um, And then latterly, when I moved to Dubai, I still kind of kept up that tradition of on the 1st of January, I would go and download whatever had been on the night before. So I would download the Chewing the Fat or Still Game or Only an Excuse and watch that. And that's when I'd seen that this show was on. And I, I think I would have been attracted to it for Jonathan Watson and Greg McHugh because I'd been watching him and Gary and Fresh Meat at the time. Um, I think Danielle and Ardini as well because I was a big This Life fan. And of course, Alex Norton. So I, instantly the cast would have attracted me to this. And I think I'd read about the premise and thought, that sounds good. Because as you say, everyone loves a New Year party and something that we are quite familiar with in, in Scotland in this kind of term, this kind of party. So... I think I'd I'd watched it the next day and just found it absolutely hilarious. And I remember putting it on a USB and giving it to my mum and my sister 
and them watching it. And genuinely, I think my mum must have watched this about 15 or 20 times, Two Doors Down. She loved it so much and she absolutely loved the TV series that, that followed. So we'll speak about it too much. But this is just such a good representation of a, a Scottish Hogmanay party and, and what it kind of entails and what goes wrong. I think the series is very, it is more of a sitcom, whereas this is, it's almost more of kind of a, it's not a black comedy, but it's it's got a few dark tones yeah. to it in terms of this show. Yeah, there's definitely a bit of, there's a bit of sort of light drama in it for sure. And there's a couple of bits, I guess, that we'll come on to. One bit in particular that's a bit, potentially a bit problematic. I mean, essentially, I, mean, I know we're not going to talk too much about the TV show. And I think the TV show, like a lot of the cast are different. A lot of characters that appear in the pilot uh, don't make it to the TV show. But essentially, the TV show, it almost kind of spins out the same story formula every episode. But it's it's, it's, it's kind of brilliant the way they do it. I mean, it's like the, the bears either invite the neighbours in or they're invaded by the neighbours. And it's, you know, and it's always a bit of an awkward, occasionally conflict confrontational sort of situation but you know like I think we can probably say the, the, the characters that didn't make it to the TV show there's Caroline played by Daniela Nardini maybe she, I, don't, does she, I don't think she pops up again right that there's a guest or anything does she no, no no not at all never mentioned again um, obviously the Norwegian neighbours Henning and Nina we never see them again. Uh, Kevin Guthrie, who plays the son, um, is replaced by another actor. Uh, bef- who plays Ian uh, is replaced by another actor for the TV show. Um, that was before he got himself into trouble with the police. And uh, Greg McHugh doesn't come back. His character doesn't come back either for the TV show, which is a bit of a shame, really, because he he's got so many good lines in it. Uh, Greg McHugh, <laughs> you know, what I mean, his character Tony. Is it Tony? Check. Uh, yeah. Tony, yeah. Sorry, yeah, Tony, yeah. yeah. It's Tony. And of course, the uh, the older brother, Angus, is completely wiped from history as well when it comes to the TV show. So, talk about the cast. You have Alex Norton as Eric and Arabella Beer as Beth, a married couple, who are having a, a New Year's Eve party, a Hogmanay party. And they are... I mean, they're brilliant in terms of the, the this married couple that you kind of believe their little bickering and and the way that they're getting on with things and you have little things like Eric leaving the crisps and the dip at Tesco's till because he was speaking with the wee lassie in the Santa hat and you get Beth's frustrations in terms of she's wanting to host this New Year's Eve party but things aren't going quite to plan immediately um, and, and things have gone wrong. She just wants everything to be fine because her son Angus is coming back from the army for this this New Year's Eve party. And that's what it's all building up to, really, is Angus coming back. Yeah, everyone everyone's excited for Angus, even Auntie Caroline, Kathy, the neighbour. When Kathy first arrives, one of the first things that she asks Beth is if, um, is if Angus is here. And when Beth says he's not here yet, her face just falls. Yeah, so you get the impression everyone loves Angus, and it's a shame because we only actually get to see Angus for like two minutes, really, yeah. towards the end of the show. But obviously, he is a a big presence in the the overall show in itself. So the first two guests to arrive at the party are Beth and Eric's son Ian and his new boyfriend. Well, I think he's a newish boyfriend, Tony, uh, played by Greg McHugh, as you also mentioned. Now, Ian in this is played by Kevin Guthrie, who I think we could legally say at the moment is probably the reason that this episode isn't on BBC iPlayer at the moment, yeah. because he is currently serving a conviction for sexual offences. And I, I, I should point out, at this point, we can 
legally say he has been convicted so that's the reason why I know he's appealing so if later down the line he is quashed and this episode comes out I just want to legally cover our arses in, in terms of saying that. So that's the reason this episode is probably no longer available on iPlayer and YouTube. I think it is available on Amazon and iTunes if anyone wants to go and watch it. So they arrive and instantly kind of find out that their son Ian is gay and I think this is quite an interesting way that it's portrayed throughout the show and again need to be careful the way that we talk about this I think in terms of what we're seeing but I think it's handled really well yeah. in this show as well it's never a big issue in terms of and remember this is 2013 and but for some people it is a slight issue but others isn't so for example when his auntie caroline comes down her first words are come here you big poof and you're instantly like okay this is yeah this is good it's, <laughs> it's everyone's at ease everything's fine and um and i think it's it's handled very well and we're not going to speak about ian and, and Kevin Guthrie's character too much, I think. But as you mentioned earlier, Greg McHugh as Tony, he is fantastic in this. He has got some of the best lines yeah. and his delivery of his performance is so good when he's when he's a little bit peckish and <laughs> the way he's talking about that. And I, I think one of my favourite bits is when he's helping Eric put the gazebo up. And it, it is the kind of a name chatter you would have with your partner's father you know when you're first going out and you're kind of struggling for things to say and he's like gazebo gazebo that's a funny word isn't it it's like talk no, the, th- the thing is he's sort of the template for all the, the other two boyfriends that um the ian has in the, in the series proper you know they update jazz i can't remember his current boyfriend's name i've forgotten it the english guy gordon gordon yeah but he, he sort of he's because he's kind of <laughs> You know, his reaction to the madness that's going on around him, you know, the sort of fallibles and nuances of these quite eccentric characters. He's almost the audience in terms of how he reacts and we see it, you mm. know, do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, but he's just, he just brings such good value to everything, Greg McHugh. He really does. He's a great actor. He's yeah. hilarious actor, hilarious uh, comedy actor. But it's it's also natural as well. It's so funny. I I know we've spoken about him in Gary Tank Commander before, and yeah. as I say, around about this time he was in Fresh Meat as um I can't remember his character's name in Fresh Meat now. It might have been Hugh or I can't remember. Um, but um, I, yeah, he's a brilliant comic actor, and as I say, he's so good in this. The way he he just plays, as you say, it's kind of the audience's eye into this madness of the party. Yeah. So the four of them are there, and then of course Caroline comes down, and Caroline, played by Daniela Nardini. Again, this was a big name, because I I, th- I think we've spoken about this life before in this podcast, when I think it was when we were speaking about Tony Curran before, because yeah. he was in a few episodes of this life, and I'm a, a big fan, but you'd never really watched it. So no. Daniela Nardini was was one of the main characters in this life. And I think I just finished watching it for maybe the third time when this came out. So I was kind of fresh off. And I, her character in this life is just fantastic. And I, did, I, I really like her as an actress. But to be honest, in this, she plays the role really well. But I could have kind of done without her. Yeah, I know what you mean. She's, her career is been a bit of an unusual one anyway because even though I didn't watch this life it obviously it made her like a household name you know what I mean she you mm. know she she seemed to come from pretty much um, nowhere to being like a massive uh, television star but then she sort of I'm trying to think who a comparable actress you know maybe someone like um 
um, uh, what's the English actress called that she was in that um, Friends type thing well she was in Friends as well she plays Ross's English girlfriend that uh, Helen Baxendale yeah you know, like if because she's obviously a, she's like a big star. She became like a quite a big television star as well, round about the same time. Because uh-huh. I think she was in Cold Feet. That's the show that I was trying uh-huh. to think of, and then obviously Friends and everything. But yeah, Daniela Nardini seemed to. You know, I'm looking at her IMDb. We've obviously she turns up in a very small part in Sunshine on Leith as the uh, as the chef is signing a copy of her uh-huh. book. You know, they they brought her back for the ten year anniversary of. Of this life um, in 2007 and then yeah she's in Waterloo Road the kind of long running BBC kind of school drama that's not Grange Hill obviously she turns up in Bob Servant as well that we did a few episodes ago but yeah she's not of course you, know, you never really you would have thought if you think about Andrew Lincoln who's also in this life and he's gone on you know I guess The Walking Dead is what's really kind of really kind of made him really but yeah yeah a strange sort of career that she's had that she's had this is where the show kind of goes into the two separate paths almost then you get to meet the youngsters and it the wonderful Sharon Rooney who plays Sophie and I was already familiar with her before this because I watched a, there was a show she was in I don't know if you've ever watched it um called My Mad Fat Diary I never, on I never, Channel 4. I know of it but I've never seen it. I, I can genuinely recommend it mate because it's got Jodie Comer in it as well right. um a young Judy Comer but it's all set around Britpop right so it's all Britpop music and that like I think one of the big build-ups to one of the episodes is they're going to go and see Oasis at Nebworth so it's all set in the 90s but it's all in a background to Supergrass and you know Oasis and Blur it, it's yeah it's a great show so I was familiar with her in that and that's set in Manchester. So she has a Manchester accent. So when she pops up in this, I was like, holy fuck, she's actually Scottish. Right. And she delivers a, a great performance as well as the... And of course, knowing what you know now, once you've seen the series, that she's Christine's daughter, yeah. for example. But in this, you just get the impression her parents are away. She's got an empty. She's invited her mate over. And do you recognise her mate as well? No, I don't know. She is... She's in the Angel Share. She's the... Uh. The girl, um, I can't remember the character's name now, yeah. but she's the girl from the Angel Share that steals the whiskey and stuff. Um, no, part of the, part of the, the main yeah. core core four, yeah. So she's got an empty, so she invites her friend round and she's all excited. They got a bottle of wine and then her mates invited the two blokes that she met on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the kind of thing that would happen yeah. when you were that age and you'd be having like an empty or something you just random people would turn up yeah i know and i mean i am um, i would never have dared have a party in my mother's house when i was left my own devices just it just i just wouldn't never have risked it i would never have been allowed to no. do it Anyway, but just with the, the mates that I had back in those days, they were just the house where they got fucking ruined and I'd have been murdered, I'd been killed. I was more than happy to go round to friends' houses when they were having a party, but I would never have dared. I mean, I remember one of the first parties I went to when I was like 14 and it was with people that were maybe like 16, 17, 18, you know, school party. Yeah. I'd been in the school plays, so that's why I was kind of hanging around with the older kids. And I remember going to this party and just being amazed at the stuff 
stuff that was going on. I mean, literally the bathroom door got taken off its hinges <laughs> and people were using it as a slide to go down the stairs. Yeah. That's like, you know, instantly you're like, yeah, no. I, I, the dog was getting fed vodka jelly shots. Like it's, that's not something I ever would want to be a part of in terms of having that going on in my house. I'd have been absolutely killed. Yeah. So no. Um, so I can totally see Sophie's point. And of course they want to, to get more booze, but hey, they haven't got any more booze, so let's gatecrash the the neighbors' <laughs> yeah. party. I mean, I, I remember. I think I might have mentioned this when we did the Braveheart episode uh, of the podcast, but I remember being invited to a house party. Uh, my friend from school, Paul Massey, like, h- him and his brother were home alone. It's, they, they, it was just the two of them with their mum, and they, the the mum was away overnight, so. But I think so. Paul had a sanctioned gathering, um, and I think there was maybe about twelve of us. It was like an it, it was an all nighter anyway, and we had rented some videos. We had like a few cases of like spar brew. <laughs> you remember you could buy like <laughs> twenty four bottles for like two ninety nine or a fiver or something. Yeah, we had tons of beers. Everybody was fucking absolutely hammered. And then I remember sort of being locked in the toilet with another couple of guys and they had nicked a couple of po- a couple of bottles of Paul's mum's wine and they were trying to get the cork out and they sit <laughs> they sitting in there drinking the wine. I got I, I, I fell over at one point in the kitchen and I put my hands out and my hands went through a kind of plastic bucket. <laughs> I've still got a scar. I've got a scar in my right hand between my pinky oh. and my ring finger because I sliced it there. And like I just sort of like wrapped it up with like kitchen roll or something and got, <laughs> got on with it. <laughs> it was just carnage. And like the next day, like the house was fucking trashed. <laughs> Paul's, Paul's younger brother, Tony, was dreading his mum coming back because we had fucking taxed a couple of bottles of her wine. And we just... Just, I mean, I, I feel terrible, and I don't think Paul listens. I'm still in touch with him. I, I'm, I'm sure they must have apologised to him many times since, but publicly, really sorry, Paul. I mean, I wasn't. I mean, I, I, I wasn't the worst behaved person there. There was a lot worse than than I, but. Uh, yeah, and then we just like we just got up in the morning and fucked off and left them to it. No one they like, helped them to tidy up or anything. Just oh yeah, just fucked off and left this this uh, bloody trail of destruction. But obviously, Sophie's too responsible to have the party. So I mean, we cut back to Eric and Beth, and I think this is where we get to meet probably the two best characters. <laughs> yeah in this episode, apart from Greg McHugh as Tony, is Kathy and Colin, yeah. played by the wonderful Jonathan Watson and the wonderful uh, Dune McKeegan. I think that is how you pronounce her surname. I'm not 100% sure, but I've watched a couple of YouTube videos. I think it's McKeegan. Okay. <laughs> and Colin and Kathy are just the, the type of people you know. They are the, the kind of, asp- they think they're better than they are, the aspirational kind of couple. Yeah. Like they, they think they're above their station and, and showing off and want to think they're cut above everyone else and but they're not really you know and I think it it shows when for example Colin speaking to Eric about this beautiful malt whiskey that he had and it was very peaty it was very peaty but a dash of Diet Coke it was smashing <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like, okay, so you don't understand the value of, of a good whiskey, for example, if you're mixing it with Diet Coke. But as characters, they are just fantastic in terms of the comedy value you get out of them and the one-liners they deliver. Yeah, she's um, she, she's hilarious. Uh, Dune McKeegan, uh, or I'll just call her Kathy because it's easier to say. Yeah. Um, Let's call her Kathy or Dune. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, especially with uh, poor Nina, the Norwegian neighbour who's pregnant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, shut up, Nina. She, she's trying, <laughs> she's tr- trying to get her to have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's when Henning and Nina come in, yeah. and of course the Norwegian neighbours, and obviously Kathy is taking a shine to Henning, and I say it's it it sums Kathy up when she she says, "Get Henning a whiskey. She's pregnant. Just get her a wine." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, she says she says something about how it's a nightmare being pregnant. It's just one pish one pish after another. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like the, 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 if you think about it, like the cast. Like most of the cast are like sort of comedy heavyweights. You know, obviously she's mm. she was in Smack the Pony, uh, sort of female led sketch show. Arabella Weir was in the Fast Show. Yeah, Daniela and well, like, sorry, Jonathan Watson, obviously from Only an Excuse, Naked Video, um, mm. and then Greg McHugh. So you know, you got like for dramatic art edge, like sort of more sort of traditionally dramatic actors like Daniela Nardini, just sort of having mm. the kind of lock horns. The actor who I think who perhaps isn't particularly well known for comedy roles apart from being in Two Doors Down, but yet whose comic timing and his uh, and his like reaction and how he sort of spars with these other actors is Alex Norton because he he is and I think he plays that very well. Yeah. And I, I would agree he is probably not best known for his comedy acting, but I think in his younger days, if you think about, and I know he had smaller roles, but we've covered him in, for example, Gregory's Girl yeah. and Comfort and Joy. Yeah. I think he, he learned his chops from Bill Forsyth in yeah. terms of the comedy. And to be fair, even the characters he plays in those films is kind of almost a deadpan delivery of, of acting, which is maybe where he's learned to be the straight man. But of course, he didn't Taggart for so many years. Yeah. And I read an interview that effectively after Taggart ended, he decided that's it. I'm, I'm going to retire now. Like oh, I've, really? I've had enough. And it was actually two doors down that kind of took him out of retirement yeah. because he thought, oh, this'll be fun. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's something simple. It's easy. It's a laugh. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. So that, and that's the only thing he really does now is two doors down. And to be fair, he's in his mid seventies. So I think this kind of took him out of retirement almost. But as you say, he is the straight man yeah. really in this, this whole thing. And he plays it so well, his delivery. It's the facial expressions and the, the way he plays off, I think Jonathan Watson, as well, it's you know it's so good and and he's he's got hella pipes on him when he sings Rhinestone. It does. I was going to say that. Yeah, he's he's a pretty good chanter. So. Yeah, <laughs> um, certainly is. Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of it sort of brings a bit of gravitas to the show, you know, because him and Arabella Weir, you know, that like you you immediately buy them as a as a couple. I know she, she's a bit younger, yeah. uh, Arabella Weir, than Alex Norton. But, you know, and I guess the way, as the part's written, you know, what she says to him, she says, all I asked you to do was, and then she runs a big list of things. Like <laughs> do you know what I've done? 
I've left them lying at the till. Oh, you're kidding me on. No, I was wishing a happy new year to the wee lassie with a Santa hat. Oh, Eric. Oh, what's going on? He's went and left the crisps and dips up by the till at Tesco. Well, it's no my fault. It was the wee lassie with a Santa hat. She just started oh, chatting Christ, to me. Eric. All you had to do was go to the Costco, pick up the gazebo, drop the flowers off at the cemetery, nip into Superdrug and get me a pair of tights, and then go to Tesco's and get five packets of kettle chips, a big bag of hula hoops and some of that peri-peri hummus. What's happening? It's a nightmare. Oh, it's no crisps. <gasps> Later on in the series, you know, I guess that you know her. I think her character sort of changes a wee bit. She's not as um, she's not as sort of confrontational, I think, in the series as she is in the pilot. No, you know that she puts up with a lot. I mean, but I get, but when she does, when her patience does run out in the TV show, it kind of yeah, it's all the more effective because it really happens. You know, whereas in this one, she's yeah. quite quick to she's quite quick to anger. Yeah, and I think you you do need that in terms of the there are points where she she has a go at Eric, and and that's when you get I guess the backstory about Angus going off to the army and yeah, her really not wanting him to, and then you are right in terms of the. When to skip ahead, when Henning is is locked in the toilet, yeah, and she's trying to break the door down, and she sort of turns to Nina and was like, "You give that a go," <laughs> you know, the, the heavily pregnant woman. The character would never say that, Beth, in the TV series. Yeah, yeah, like she's much, would never do that. She's much nicer, isn't she? That was the scene that I was going to say, uh, not with uh, Beth and Nina trying to get the bathroom door open, but more what's what is going on in the bathroom. You know what I mean? When Henning's passed out and Caroline's, you know, I mean, she's essentially forcing herself on him, on an unconscious Henning. Yeah. She's like, she's like s- s- slipped his wife fronts down and she's yeah. mounted him, as they say later on. Mounted him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is extremely problematic. I, I would completely agree, um, and quite uncomfortable. And when you're watching it, you're thinking, "This, this isn't right. This isn't funny. I, I, I don't think this is really what we should be watching." So yeah, I, I agree. That is probably the one part of the show that, that isn't that great, but it does lead to a very funny part, which we can <laughs> we can speak about later on. Definitely. In terms of the... So you have the kind of the whole party set up. So Henning and Nina, the Norwegian neighbours, come round. And then kids come round. Sophie and her friend and the, the two guys you met on the bus. So they're all at the party. And you get the, the wonderful line in terms of, of Henning, um, the Norwegian. And they're speaking about their experiences in Scotland. And I, I do love the line when he says that uh, Nina they're speaking about the Tartan army Mm. and how famous they are over the world and well loved and Henning says yeah Nina helped a man in the street Uh, he was wearing a flag and lying in the gutter (laughs) choking on his own vomit (laughs) and like that's a Tartan army (laughs) it's the the wonderful (laughs) and you do wonder is that the depiction that they have of the Tartan army the world over uh, in terms of yes it was it's just men out partying lying in the street choking on their own vomit. Yeah, I think it's probably. Yeah, I think that probably is is true because you know we're fairly. You know, I think we we go to watch football and we have a good time. You know, we sample the local food and drink, <laughs> perhaps a bit more so the drink than the food, perhaps. But yeah, yeah, I mean, and it's a sort of strange sort of choice to make to put a, a Norwegian couple into this whole ensemble. You know. Um, it's, it's just kind of, I mean, of Norway of all places <laughs> you know they, they... I, I think it can help to, to show the show up obviously the, the Scottish not stereotypes but it helps with a few things so in terms of I think it helps to shoehorn in a few elements 
if that makes sense. So, of course, they can ask, is, is Henning a true Scotsman? Because he kins in wearing his kilt. And so that gets that across. Because remember, this went out nationwide. Yeah. So this went out to England as well. And I'm not saying English are ignorant in terms of the, the Scottish traditions and the ways, but this was a big thing, this going out. In, in terms of the whole of the country. So I think it helped to get things like that over and it helped to get maybe a few other jokes in terms of the, obviously, the, the as we've said about the Tartan army and the man having his own vomit. And then, you know, one of my favourite parts is when Henning starts, no, no more pastry. Yeah. I, <laughs> why does it got to be so much pastry in Scotland? <laughs> and it's very true, you know, to say when they mention the steak pie and stuff. He's like, no, no, I can't have any more pastry. I've been saying to the university, why does everything have to have pastry? <laughs> um, no, I, I think you're right. I think, obviously, you know, I've, like, I've, I haven't lived in England. People have have New Year's Eve parties in England as well. But I think it, 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 mm. in, in Scotland, we have perhaps a bit more tradition around it other than just getting people together for a drink and something to eat for New Year. Um, so I suppose the, the, exactly like you say, the Norwegian couple were a way of sort of explaining um, how we like to celebrate New Year, you know? north of the border well that's it because uh, as Kathy says you know oh we celebrate Christmas but you know New Year's kind of the the bigger thing yeah and that's why always been one of my favourite things and it's always fascinated people when I've told them that in terms of you know the 2nd of January is a public holiday yeah in Scotland yeah and they're like really I was like yeah we actually gave up Easter Friday because Easter Friday is not a public holiday in Scotland. No. So we've been like, fuck Jesus, let's have New Year an extra day. Fuck so Jesus. obviously Scotland and England have to have kind of the same set amount of public holidays. Mm-hmm. So we gave up Good Friday and transferred it to the 2nd of January. So we get two days off after New Year because Hogmanay is such a big occasion in Scotland. Because we need it. I I can remember when I was a kid, literally some people's New Year's Eve, some people would be celebrating New Year's Eve like well into the 2nd of January. You know what I mean? There There would just be parties, you know. So you might go to a couple of parties on New Year's Eve. Then you would go and first foot a few people after the bells. So you might you might be out until like well into the well into the following afternoon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like those a lot of people I mean it, it doesn't seem to be quite there's so much now, but certainly when I was a wee boy I can remember people turning up at like four o'clock on New Year's day in the afternoon like with a bottle in their hand <laughs> wish yeah. wish us happy new year see if there was anything to eat you know have a couple of drinks and then on to the next place oh i mean i remember my grandmother it she lived with two of my uncles like towards the end uh, two of my uncles they'd kind of one had never been married the other one had been divorced and they just kind of looked after her yeah. and for a good few years and um, every new year, they would get in uh, a 24-pack of McEwan's Export, a 24-pack of Tenants, a 24-pack of Kestrel, <laughs> uh, a couple of bottles of whiskey, and a couple of bottles of vodka. And that was for people coming round. Yeah. Like, first footers. And hardly anyone came, but when people did come round, they would stay for six, seven hours. So you had to have yeah. all that in your arsenal for... You know, if you, if you did have guests, because if you had someone come round, you didn't have anything in, then you're kind of fucked. It, it's it's not the done thing. So, yeah, it was very much a... It's a big tradition, yeah, in Scotland, you year. I don't know about nowadays, but I 
it used to be anyway. My granny, uh, one year before I was born, she was having a Hogmanay party and she used to be able to like hire, you could, you could rent glasses from like the local pub. So if you knew you were going to have a lot mm. of people, so she had, she had rented like whatever, like a couple of dozen different types of glasses. And her thing was always, everybody needs to be standing up for the bells to toast the new year. Okay. And my uncle Donnie, was absolutely plastered like er- <laughs> early on and she she kept saying he better be standing up for the bells he better be up for the bells but, and um, so <laughs> my uh, my other uncle and his mate just at the, a couple of minutes to 12 got Donnie up on his feet put a glass in his hand and uh, when he went to raise his glass to toast the new year he fucking toppled over into all the glasses that <laughs> That were all arranged at the table. <laughs> oh no! That my granny had rented and and I broke quite a lot of them. <laughs> my granny was absolutely furious. You see, I I don't remember steak pie being a massive New Year tradition, but obviously it is. Yeah, yeah, always a steak pie. I wonder if it's a central belt thing. We never had it may, up in Aberdeen. It might be. We used to have our steak pie after the belt, so we would. We'd, oh, we'd, okay. We'd, like I know in, in the show, they're they're having it on New Year's Day, but we used to always have it after midnight. So we would have our steak pie, ah. and then go to bed at like two or three in the morning. Wow, full of steak pie. Full of steak pie. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it was never a thing in my household, so I don't know. That's why I wonder if it is like a central belt kind of tradition. But obviously, I I know about it now. But yeah, it's never been a a huge thing in our household. But poor Beth has cooked this massive steak pie, and then everyone's kind of hungry. And that's another great part of this show, is the pie chant. (laughs) Yeah. And but everyone's chanting and poor Eric just comes in. <laughs> he's so excited and he's chanting, pie, pie, pie. Yeah, and uh, Tony's trying to, he keep, he's trying to clap and time to everybody else, but he keeps... <laughs> so yeah, poor Beth has to cook the steak pie. Yeah, but hey, if you're having a, a party, surely you would have had other food rather than crisps and dip that he'd left at Tesco's. Because when she's handing out the tangerines earlier on, <laughs> you're thinking, you can't have a New Year's Eve party without having some food, like even sausage rolls or yeah. something. But all she's had really was the crisps and dip that Eric's left at Tesco's. I don't, but you sort of get the feeling that she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want it to get out of hand. So she hasn't, you know, she hasn't put on a load of food and everything that was only going to be crisps. Because I mean, that, if Paula doesn't want people to spend too long... <laughs> the cup rounds <laughs> she just fucking she doesn't put anything out you know what I mean at all she, you know. so yeah I don't know I, I kind of thought that I kind of got the feeling that she wanted like to have the house you know for the legendary Angus coming back the prodigal son you know and just have it to herself mm. have them to herself no I can I can see that maybe I think uh, and of course it wasn't expecting quite as many guests because obviously the, the youngsters yeah, turn up the young and team. they're tanning the, the beer as well trying to fill their pockets <laughs> they do provide quite a, a good element in terms of the, the two lads when they're out stuffing their pockets and he's like you see those two boys inside gay <laughs> yeah. and <laughs> And I think, as I say, I mentioned it in my intro, but we have to speak about the the line of from Jonathan Watson when he is speaking about uh, Tony's character, and when he does say the you'd never know to look at him. Yeah. Hi, I'm Kathy. Oh, sorry, Kathy. No, you've not met, have you? This is Tony. Tony is Ian's friend. Partner. Hiya. Eric, for God's sakes, how many years have we known Kathy and Colin? It's all right, Eric, we'll know. Oh, God, I knew for years. Even when he was a wee boy. Anyway, so anyone... Tony is Ian's partner. Pleased to meet you, Tony. Hi, Tony. 
God, Eric, you wouldn't know, would you? Looking at him. <laughs> Pleased to meet you. Ah, no, you can when he speaks. Uh, is that your carriage, sir? Um, I almost felt bad about laughing at that as hard as I did, but it is very funny. <laughs> but it's, I don't know, is it wrong to laugh at that? I don't think so. I mean, because you're not, you're not laughing at Tony, you're laughing at Colin's kind of ignorance. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's fine. I think you're all right. I, th- I, th- I think you're in the clear. Okay. <laughs> I guess the other hugely funny moment of this that me burst out laughing is when Caroline goes through the gazebo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. <laughs> so she has to escape the through the bathroom window after her attempted rape of Henning. Yeah. And she's on the rooftop and there's only one place she can go. So she just literally goes right through this gazebo that Eric has spent all afternoon putting up, but Tony managed to put up in five minutes. Yeah. And it's just the comedy of just the, the literal just vroomph of right through it. <laughs> yeah. And it seems to sober her up a bit because she's she's really cagey for the next few minutes of the show, obviously until until uh, Nina attacks her. <laughs> For trying to mount, trying to mount Henning, <laughs> you know what I mean. She turns down. Oh no, the the state pie is before, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say she turns down the state pie, but um, I know that's um, it's after she's gone through the gazebo, yeah, because she comes in and she's looking a bit worse for oh, her. Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why I love to jump about a bit, but that's why I love Kathy's character so much because as the and it's a testament to Dunes acting performance as the this hour unfolds and okay, I mean they don't come in until maybe the first like 15 minutes in maybe yeah but as this unfolds you can see her just getting more out of control and more drunk and she delivers that wonderful line that I love when I think Tony says something funny to someone I can't remember what it is he says but he says something and Kathy laughs and she says oh you're one of those aren't you are you getting up to do us a song Nina do Bjork Nina <laughs> York, do you hear that? <laughs> Good sense you hear that boy, actually, don't you, son? You're one of the ones, aren't you? Seem as dull as shite when you meet you, but quite funny when you get to know you. And hmm? you could see that's her getting progressively... And when she's cutting up that steak pie, she's a woman pished and possessed. Yeah. Brilliant in terms of her her drunken performance as this progresses. She's funny when she's talking about the Lexus and how it's a hybrid. She's like, and Colin said, oh, it's really quiet. And she's like, yeah, I ran over a dog. I killed a dog last week because it never heard me coming. And Colin goes, really efficient. Oh yeah, killed it stone dead really quick. <laughs> or something like that. I mean, like the whole... <laughs> and they... When Eric discovers the, the knackered gazebo, when they go out to hear the, the ships and the Clyde pulling their horns for the bells, and <laughs> he's like, it, it does obviously doesn't occur to him that like his sister-in-law has just like jumped into it. Oh, why would you? Immediately, exactly. He, he immediately blames Tony. <laughs> because Tony, you know. <laughs> Of course, the funny part about that is when Tony does put it up, um, Eric's first thing to him is like if Beth Beth asks I did this <laughs> yeah. and yeah <laughs> as soon as it goes wrong then no it was nothing to do with me yeah Tony did it to talk about the the music at the party I was actually quite disappointed oh really with one thing because they were almost on a perfect run I don't know if you were aware or you listened to the music that they played at their New Year's Eve party. Oh, I heard them play Deacon Blue and they played like the very beginning of Faith by George Michael. That was disappointment. They were on a fucking great run. So this was the run. They did. I made a note of every song that was played because I, on, when it got to the third song, I was like, hey, 
they've, they're doing something here. They're playing a pattern and then it got disjointed. So they played Danny Wilson, Aztec Camera, Deacon Blue, Fairground Attraction, Rod Stewart, Steeler's Wheel, The Proclaimers, but they spoiled it by midway through the party playing Fergal Sharky. <laughs> and then they played a bit of George Michael. And I was like, damn it, it was almost so good. It was almost a whole Scottish. And that would have been the kind of thing you would get at a New Year's party. Yeah. It would be all Scottish songs you would play. And that is a fucking brilliant playlist. I mean, hey, the Fergal Sharky... And even the George Michael, it, it's a good playlist still, but it was almost a perfect Scottish playlist. Yeah, no, a really good playlist. I need to think about, um, I don't know, I mean, I don't know, have you got any plans for Hogmanay this year? Uh, no, nothing much. I mean, our Hogmanay is kind of um, buggered now that we've got the dog. Oh, so yeah. um, in terms of fireworks, it's not the best thing because he does get a little bit agitated with the fireworks. Sure. He doesn't um, He doesn't get, he doesn't get scared. Mm-hmm. He gets annoyed. Right. <laughs> Um, he's not scared of the fireworks he's pissed off right. that someone's fucking making a noise outside so he goes and barks at the door um, but it's nothing to do with I know, I know a lot of dogs will shake and shiver and hide under the bed and stuff no he's front and centre barking at the fucking lights like fuck off you cunts <laughs> but yeah I feel bad leaving him so no nothing planned I think we'll just probably stay in this new year and that'll be about it what about yourself you getting a steak pie on the go uh, yes I think I'll, I think I will do a steak pie oh very nice huh? Hogmanay and um, no I mean I, I haven't gone out for Hogmanay since um, 2005 into 2006 no no tell I 2002 was the last time I went out I always uh, I always just go to house parties for Hogmanay but la- mm. the, you know like, the, last year we didn't really do anything we just stayed in and watched like the fireworks at the Burj and the telly um, and then went to bed it used to be such a big thing though like yeah. a part of my life in terms of New Year I would say between the ages of 15 to maybe about 23, 24 it was like a massive thing yeah. New Year's Eve maybe even longer than that but now I'm just like maybe arsed does it matter? Do I remember one year you and our mutual friend bought a case of lager each and because I lived close to Union Street we left it at my house in the during the day <laughs> went out drinking all day in Union Street for the bells and everything and then came back to mine to collect your beer at like one or two in the morning <laughs> and off to the next adventure <laughs> yeah I seem to remember I've got very hazy memories of that night but maybe yeah yeah yeah, I know. I'm just you, my New Year's hazy. I'm a, I'm about. I, I, I'm like you. It's not a. I mean, you know, it's one of them. And I think I would probably enjoy New Year more if I was at home in Scotland. I think. Mm. You know what I mean? Like here, I don't know. It's you know, like in the Middle East, it's. I mean, they they do celebrate it as you know, but um, it's yeah. not quite the same. You know, it, it it's it sort of needs to be a bit cold so you can get like a jumper on and stuff mm. and be warm and you know, it just. I, I think I miss some of the traditions of New Year and watching this episode of Two, Do- of Two Doors Down did make me a bit nostalgic and maybe even a wee bit homesick uh, just for, for New Year, you know? Yeah, I have to admit, it did make me a little bit kind of homesick in terms of the, the nice house parties I remember. More from when I was younger, I would say, of my mum maybe taking me around to a neighbour's house and they would be having a party and just the the kind of memories of of stuff like that and that's why i really like this show because it's it's realistic it's and uh, okay maybe not the sister-in-law raping the norwegian neighbor in the bathroom and then going through the gazebo but the rest of it is is very 
realistic in terms of kind of the house party you would have, I think. When your mum would take you to the neighbours, would somebody give you a wee snowball to drink for the bells? Wee, um, wee yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I remember being quite young and my mum gave me like a, a peach snaps and lemonade <laughs> for the bells. I, I say young, maybe like 11, yeah, 12. Yeah. I'm not speaking about like four or five, but yeah, I seem to remember mum would, uh, would give me that for Hogmanay for the bells. I guess you figured it's Peach snaps and lemonade's hardly going to turn him into being a hardcore alcoholic that I am nowadays, so, <laughs> but little did she know. I think that's why it's kind of a, a wonderful, realistic thing, because this was all shot in a crammed, medium-sized living room. There wasn't a big set built, it was literally done in the living room of a house. Yeah. And I'd read some of the, the cast kind of comments and saying that 20 of them, like including the crew, crammed in this little living room, filming them for 12 hours a day like filming this series so I can imagine it must have been a little bit uncomfortable in that kind of setting very claustrophobic I mean I think it's it looks uh, I could be totally wrong I mean it's obviously it's, it's not the same house that the same street or anything that they use for the TV show but it looks like it might be like Mogai or Bear's Den or somewhere like that you know uh, no when they moved to the TV show because obviously we've spoken about the TV show quite a lot so on the back of this special there was a series commissioned um, because this one hour and it was just meant to be a one-off special it got such a great reaction on, on social media and from the critically acclaimed that a series was actually commissioned and this series debuted on the first First of April 2016 and as we speak now series 5 has just finished on the BBC at the midway point they only actually got to film three episodes of series 5 because Alex Norton got COVID and Joy McAvoy who is one of the characters later added to the series um, went into birth during the, the filming of the one of the episodes so they had to take a break right. and they're going to film the last three episodes um, early in the year uh, so we'll, we'll get that later on so yeah I mean it's run for five series since this episode so it's it's been a massive success and I think we will do some of the series on the podcast later on but it's it's genuinely been a show that's really well received my wife absolutely loves this show I I think it, we've been around at my mum's my mum had mentioned two doors down and uh, my wife had said oh I'll need to watch this and I was like I don't know if you'll like it and I put it on one day for her I think I went to go and play golf and I was like look here's two doors down and I came back and she'd watched like three series oh, my life. in the the four hours I've been off to watch golf she'd watched like she's like it's, it, it's amazing I can't stop watching it so yeah she absolutely loves it so it was a it's a it's a show that really has kind of just taken off and and people really do love it and quite rightly so it's it's just very Scottish and it's very natural and it's just yeah yeah it's a great show yeah it is great it's really good and they sort of you know sometimes like these things can can run out of steam a wee bit but I think because they're not just sort of churning it out you know like in the way that sometimes like American comedies they'll do like 28 episodes in the series mm. and all that kind of thing because you know it's not every, it's not even every year it's every couple of years they do a new series so like even the, the later episodes have just as many like hilariously funny moments as um, as the early episodes it's as you said though I think that earlier on every episode in this sitcom run it's it's one thing and that's the hook for the episode. Yeah. And that's the that's what the episode completely revolves around, but they find a way to work it around. So, for example, Eric's 
colonoscopy or um in the most recent one it's it, the whole episode literally is around about a vegetable curry <laughs> but they managed to work 30 minutes of comedy into the fact that beth is cooking a vegetable curry the very first episode is the whole premise is that beth's freezer uh, at um, eric yeah. left the freezer door open when he was pissed he came in cooking chips <laughs> and he left it open and all the food spoiled every episode if you look at it is just one simple hook and they just build that round and that's some of the best sitcom episodes and that's why it works because it's so simple and they just make it work and yeah it's a it's a wonderful series and would never have happened without this pilot and genuinely i will go back and watch this again probably at new year because it's just a a wonderful reminder of new year in scotland so shwell on that note shall we put it through the the swally awards why not let's do it then greg Uh, do you have some awards this week (laughs) yeah i do any last time for the crankies <laughs> yeah i do i got awards this week okay so uh the ewan mcgregor uh gratuitous nudity category i mean like it's sort of henning really and he's not it's not particularly gratuitous <laughs> you know <laughs> i generally put none for this and you know that i am a, a kind of stickler for yeah yeah sniffing out a cock in a box or something <laughs> but no i i have put nothing for this there's no nudity henning yeah you see his upper thighs but that doesn't count yeah so uh, there's no nudity in this, yeah. so it's it's family friendly from that aspect. Beth sees these bits because she has to ask Nina to cover them up. <laughs> That's true, yes. Um, but we don't see that. We don't see them. The James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. It's kind of Alex Norton. <laughs> yeah, of course it's Alex yeah. Norton. Yeah. I mean, we could have maybe made a bit of a case for Kevin Guthrie, but I think he's sort of done himself out of it by by being a convicted criminal. I would say Jonathan Watson yeah. more than Guthrie. So, yeah, but no, it's Alex Norton. I mean, the swally tally does not lie. And then the Francis Begbie Award for swearing. What did you have? What did you go for for this? Uh, There's there's a few, but... I sort of struggled, to be honest, to find something kind of worthy, kind of Begbie-ish, you know? I feel like Elaine C. Smith's character in the later episodes would sort of win it every time, you know? Okay. Where did you go? Uh, Well, for me, a clear winner is... Kathy and it's when she's dishing up the steak pie and she asks Eric for a fish slice. Would you like your picture taken with me in the pie, Mr. Beard? Uh, no, no, you're fine, son. Eric, could you get us a fish slice? This draining spoon's a shite. Just pour my- it's the it's the pronunciation of the word shite and the the action she puts into it as she puts down <laughs> the the serving spoon that just absolutely makes it for me and that's the best use of swearing in the show. It's the the way she does it. It's the whole action that goes with it. I yeah, it, that won it for me. I loved it. The archetypal Scottish moment. There's quite a lot in there. Yeah, there's a lot. What did you? Uh, well, I had plump for. In well, the end. I had put steak pie for New Year, mm. but then you're telling me that it's not as big a thing in the up in Aberdeenshire. Mm. So it's maybe maybe it can't be an archetypal Scottish moment. Maybe it's an archetypal Central Belt moment. <laughs> what did you go for? Well. Um, I put steak pie purely because I know it's a big Scottish thing yeah. in Central Belt. Um, but then I put a slash and put the music as well yeah. in terms of the, you're having a, a New Year's party and okay, they slip in a little bit of Fergal Sharkey and a bit of George Michael, but <laughs> the rest of the music is Scottish. Um, there's so much though. You could put the single malt, you could put Henning and his kilt, yeah, yeah, no more pastry. Yeah, I mean, that's not an archetypal Scottish moment because obviously we love pastry, but yeah, I think steak pie or the music kind of would win it for me. Or the the boys filling their pockets with cans. <laughs> it's maybe something a bit Scottish, but that you know. <laughs> and then the uh, 
the Sean Connery Award, who... This is a hard one, I think, to... Mm. Because there's cases for almost everybody that's in it. Yeah, I would say so. Genuinely, one of my first instincts would have been Greg McHugh. Yeah. Because she's so great in it. But I, I can't go past Dune. Yeah, she's brilliant. You know, Dune is Kathy. I think, I think if I could give it to both her and Jonathan Watson yeah. as the double act because they are so good but it's it's Kathy she just steals it she's so good and like her rant at the end as they're walking home is just so well delivered I, I think she wins it for me I, I genuinely I think Arabelle Weir and Alex Norton are brilliant in it um, but yeah I, I'm going to give it to, to Dune yeah no arguments uh, from me there I mean I think you know Greg, Greg McHugh is brilliant in it and like one of my favourite lines is when they all kind of when like Ian and the rest of them sort of turn on Caroline when uh, Beth's giving her a hard time at the end and he says you are a nightmare <laughs> to her you know <laughs> It, yeah, but it's he delivers so much more than his lines. It's his his reactions <laughs> yeah. when, as you say at the end, when Beth's throwing everyone out, and she's like, "Get out, all of you!" <laughs> and Tony goes, and she has to go, "Not you, Tony." <laughs> yeah. And he comes back. It's the <laughs> yeah the little the facial expressions that he has, and the way he delivers the. I'm a bit peck. Or, or does he say to? Um, he says, "I'm absolutely starving." Ian, like I'm, I'm absolutely starving. And then as soon as Beth says, "Are you hungry?" I'm just a bit peckish. It's it, it, it's a natural reaction. You would react. I I know if I was round at my wife's, you know, my mother-in-law's house, and I'd said to my wife, "Like I'm fucking starving," and she said to her mum, "Like Nikki's hungry." I'd be like, "Oh no, no, I'm just a little bit peckish." <laughs> It's a total natural reaction yeah. of the way you would be. And he delivers it so well. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um, I, I, I genuinely, yeah, nearly gave it to him, but I have to give it to Dune yeah. for her portrayal as Kathy. Yeah, she's she's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I think, I think probably, I mean, I don't know like why they decided not to continue the Caroline character, but I think that she's she's got a bit too much in common with Kathy's character, I think, right? You know? I, I think they made the right choice because as you say, Caroline and Kathy are they're a bit too similar, yeah. I think. And you can tell there's a little bit of friction there. One of Kathy's first lines when she says Caroline, let me have a look at you. Oh no, I don't like your hair like that. Yeah. That sets the tone for the, the friendship. And then they have a little bit of friction about not having children. Yeah. The characters are too similar. Caroline's almost like a bit of an over-the-top Kathy, but I think they have maybe put some of the elements in that into the Kathy character for the TV show. But yeah, I, I, I would say Caroline is not missed in terms of the, the TV show, and effectively they've replaced her with Christine. And hey, I'd much rather have Christine <laughs> <Yeah>. than Caroline. <laughs> She's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. Emmeline C. Smith in it. Um, yeah, I look forward to, you know, obviously we'll cover the, the sort of TV show proper at some point on a future episode. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Like, mm. Elaine C. Smith has so many good one-liners, uh, as you ah. and I have discussed at length off-air. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole cast are, 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 are very good. Even, even like, the, like the young boys, like the young guys playing uh, Gordy and Maitland, you know, the two guy, the two young guys that come in. I mean, they're, they're great as well, you know what I mean? They're like fairly not massive roles and stuff but and hmm. they're really good oh no there's not a single cast member that doesn't 
deliver here. And as I say, even um, Kevin Guthrie, who d- don't agree with what he's done, but I think this is one of his best performances that I've seen him. Yeah, he's you know he's great. I I really believe in terms of when there's a scene when him and Eric are outside in the back garden having a cigarette, and he's explaining how he kind of always felt bullied and. Mm-hmm. He, explain some of the names that he's been called you really believe and uh, i mean that is a again it, it is a good scene when he's effectively pouring his heart out to his dad mm-hmm. saying that you don't know any gay people you've never been there and and eric saying i know loads of gay people it's what the golf at uh, the golf club oh no they wouldn't get into the <laughs> <Yeah>. golf club <laughs> What's it? he says no no but i know pervy bernie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's in the van? Guthrie's very good in that, though, I, I would say. I mean, he, Kevin Guthrie, you know, whether his appeal, even if his appeal is successful, he has fucked it. Because if you look at the last few years, what he's been what he's been doing, he had the TV show the Eng- about football, the English game on Netflix. He's in the, the second Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them film. He's in Dunkirk. He's in the first Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them as well, sorry. He's in Dunkirk. You know what I mean? Like, pro- you know, he's a, he's a, he's a good-looking guy. Probably, if he hadn't fucked it, he would probably have gone on to be quite successful. You know what I mean? If he had, you know, just be an absolute arse of it. He would have probably had quite a big career. As it stands, we'll never see him again, apart from on the news when his appeal comes up, you know? Um, sad shame. And as I say, at the time of recording, he is still convicted. We'll we'll wait and see what happens, but just to, to make that clear. But yeah, uh, a very sad case um, in terms of, of what's happened, because he was... He was very good. Okay, right. Um, well, I guess that concludes Two Doors Down. Our Hogbunny episode, the last episode of the year, or is it? Well, no, it is our last episode oh, yeah. of the year, Greg. It certainly is, because this will be going out on the 30th of December. So unless you want to cram another quick one in on the 31st, <laughs> then we can do. Okay, so just let me you aware that Greg and I will be taking a week or so off. So on the 13th of January, which should be our next schedule episode. Do not worry, we will have a news special coming out, which is our best news stories from 2021. Hey, it's one of those episodes that they used to do in Friends and the Golden Girls and stuff that they would do like a little kind of The Simpsons. Come on, yeah. Simpsons, one of the best shows ever. That You know, they used to do little clip shows. So, hey, uh, you know, just download it. You don't want to have to listen to it. In fact, no, listen to it because it will make you remember some of the funny news stories from the world, uh, from the world from the last year. Uh, however, we will be back the following week with our new episode. Hopefully I'll have shaken off this fucking cough by that by that point. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully you will do, Greg. Yes, hopefully you will do, because it can take a fucking mastermind of me editing to get a cough out of this fucking episode. <laughs> I've, been, yeah, but I've, I've been covering my microphone, so uh, hopefully you, it'll be fine. Uh, so on our first episode of 2022 that we're going to be doing, apart from the news episode, it's my choice, Greg. So shall I tell you what we're going to be looking at? Please do. Oh. Okay, uh, well, it is going to be our 40th episode of the Culture Swally, if we include the news episode, which we're going to, because, hey, it's an episode. So it's going to be our 40th episode. So I thought, let's do something from 40 years ago. So I have picked from 1982, the Play for Tomorrow episode, The Nuclear Family, starring Jimmy Logan and Gerard Kelly. Now, I had never even heard of this. I mean, I guess when we did City Lights, I must have seen it on Gerard Kelly's IMDb, but uh, Mm. I'd never heard of it. Um, I'm quite looking forward to watching it. 
I'll be honest, I'd never heard of it either until I was doing City Lights and I looked at Jenna Kelly's IMDb and I saw The Nuclear Family and I remember reading it and thinking, that sounds interesting. And then it literally this week I was looking at stuff that was 40 years old and this came up. Right. And I thought, why not? Let's do it. It's all on YouTube. Yeah. So cool. let's do it. The Nuclear Family. And it's Jimmy Logan and Gerard Kelly. Hey, what could be wrong about that? I'm looking forward to it. So we'll be doing that on the next episode. Not the next episode. The next episode is the news, best of the news 2021. But the episode after that, 40th episode, will be the nuclear fan. Right. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can. You can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod, or you can follow us on Twitter at Swally Pod. Or hey, you can email us with anything you would like us to review or any news stories that you've seen that you'd like us to cover on Culture Swally at gmail.com and please feel free as a little new year treat for us give us a little rating review on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts it really helps the pod and tell your friends about this as well and greg uh website there'll be, there'll be a new website next year um i haven't i just haven't had the time to <laughs> to work on it it's busy as fuck um, it's okay it's the festive period so it's fine and it's it's all okay so we'll, we'll get that sorted in the new year uh, well, uh, on behalf of Greg and myself, I mean, Greg, you can speak for yourself, actually. <laughs> I would like to wish all of our listeners a very happy new year and all the best for 2022. Thank you very much for your support over the last year, and I hope you continue listening in the new year. And hey, as I say, if you've got anything you'd like us to review in 2022, then get in touch with us. Yep, hopefully we'll, we will, the most, you know, this uh, wave will be on next year of the pandemic. Uh, wave five, six, <laughs> just fucking just not going away. Hopefully we'll get back to some kind of normality in uh, 2022. Fantastic. Yep. Night, Greg. Good luck cooking your steak pie for a new year. Very happy. Have a lovely Christmas. Yep. Very happy new year. <clears throat> and I'll, we'll see you soon. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Can't say a very Merry Christmas. This will be out in uh, the <laughs> 30th. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So a very happy new year to uh, you and your all. And uh, yeah, I'll speak to you in the new year. Okay. See you in the new year, Greg. Until next year. See you then. Pie. 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 Pie.